On this episode of Training Camp, we have Stock Sniper back on for another interview. He talks about his scalping strategy, what it's like being a full-time trader, and how trading is like eating an elephant. This episode is brought to you by Kane Capital, a trading community over 25,000 strong featuring live trading alerts and educational content. Link in the notes to join for free today. It's so hard for me to sit back here in this studio looking at a guy out here hollering my name when last year I spent more money on spilled liquor in bars from one side of this world to the other than you made. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheel of dealing. everybody we got episode 29 of trading camp investing like champions we got stock sniper back on the podcast snipes is with us for his second interview if you guys remember he was one of the first traders that we interviewed really really solid episode but we are excited to get him back on before I bring him in, I'm going to bring in Noah. What's going on, brother? How we doing? Alejandro, what's good? Episode 29, um, kind of crazy, right? We're almost at number 30. I feel like we never really thought that we would even get this far. And so it, it is super exciting. Um, Snipes was on for episode number three and TCP was so young. Uh, Kane Cap was so young. And realistically, our relationship with Snipes was pretty young. We had kind of just met him. Um, and so I think that it'll, it'll be good to get, um, a second run at it. You know, now that Kane cap has grown, TCP has grown and snipes has grown as a trader. And so I'm really excited to get into it. Absolutely. I will also say, I don't think that the first interview did snipes enough justice. He is quite honestly, one of the best traders I've seen, one of the best traders I've been around. And as you mentioned, it was still very early in our relationship. It was still very early in Kane cap. But having had now traded alongside him for six plus months, it's incredible the things that I'm able to watch every day, the things that I see him do every day, uh, day in and day out, regardless of market conditions. Again, very, very talented trader. So excited to have him back on. Snipes, how we doing, bro? We're doing great. Honestly, I'm so excited to be back on the pod. Um, three episode, episode three was quite a while ago, and here we are in episode 29. It's kind of crazy that it's been that long since then. And definitely is a lot more stuff I'd like to cover tonight, and I'd like to talk a lot tonight about scalping. Awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, it is a long journey that we've been on, and you know, you think about it, 29 episodes, almost 30 now. It doesn't, I guess, seem like that many, but when you're only doing an episode a week, right? We've worked really, really hard to get to this point, and we have been able to, uh, you know, meet with so many great traders. So, really, really impressed with what we've been able to do. But getting back on topic here, Snipes, I know that you uh, have a lot to share tonight. So, you actually reached out to us and you said, guys, listen, I want to do another episode. I want to go a bit more into detail about my strategy. I want to go a bit more into detail about scalping. And I think that our listeners, why well, know rather that our listeners are going to be really, really excited to hear from you, get a bit more into what it is that you do day in and day out in the markets. 
So let's get right into it. Let's talk about scalping. Let's talk about what it is that you're doing. Another thing that's important to note, the current market that we're trading in is very different from the market that we're trading in on the first episode, right? So that was last year, um, end of the year. SPY was near all-time highs. Market sentiment was very, very different. Volume profile looked very, very different. So now, under current market conditions, what does your scalping strategy look like? Well, it's funny that you say that because when we're looking at the market six months ago versus now, it's a whole different ballgame. Um, obviously, there is similar traits and a lot of similar price actions and stocks will behave with some similarities to how they used to. But now we're seeing all different kinds of movements. We're seeing some crazy choppiness on some days. We're seeing some violent moves in just one direction or the other in just a short amount of time. And a lot of it's just based off of a little bit of news. So with that being said, just like how the market evolves, uh, sometimes our styles need to evolve. And a lot of the things that I do is still the same um, as far as the charting wise with the high and the low of the last 10 minutes. But Tonight, I want to focus really on the entries and how I find these entries. So just like Hondo was saying, we're seeing the market six months ago is completely different from right now. And when the market adapts, sometimes we need to adapt our trading styles. When I look at what I was doing then versus what I'm doing now, um, I'm seeing a lot of similarities, but ultimately things are just being a lot tighter right now. With the choppiness that we're seeing, um, I want to see green and I'm securing green pretty early right now. And just like I was before focused on the win percentage, I am still focused on the win percentage. The only real difference is when we're seeing the market conditions like this, I sometimes like to get a little bit defensive. That, for me personally, is one of the biggest adjustments I had to make from last year till now. And also thinking about the beginning of this year, because even the beginning of this year looks very different from what the market looks like today. And today is April 19th, 2022. We went through a stretch where there was a lot of volatility. We saw um, the VIX uh, at very high levels. And because of that, options premiums were a bit more expensive, but there were still larger moves, especially in the indices, right? So we were able to kind of let positions ride a bit more. Gains were honestly looking really nice. We were trading the downside. And again, trading under volatile market conditions where there were eight, nine, 10 point moves in the indices and in SPY daily, there's a ton of opportunity there. Right now, the market is at least from my perspective, very choppy. So you mentioning that you're very focused on taking those gains early, securing those wins, There's a mental barrier that a lot of traders have to push through when it comes to that sort of trading strategy or that sort of trading style. And it also speaks to being able to adapt on the dime. So one week can look very, very different from the next. And as a trader, and I think that this is one of the skills that really sets you apart from others, is being able to adapt to market conditions and being able to recognize The price action I'm seeing today is different from the price action I saw yesterday, is different from the price action I saw last week. Today is not a day to be aggressive, or today is a day to be aggressive. So talk to me about your trading and how you're able to decide when you want to scale out 
of certain positions and how you can sort of tell day to day how market conditions are either going to play into the favor of holding positions for a longer period of time or taking profits early. The main thing that I've been looking for in this market is watching the volume by the minute. I want to see that there's consistent volume from minute to minute. And the reason why is because I don't want to see the volume completely drop off the minute after we add a trade and we're just watching a stock move sideways for the rest of the day. And we're just basically losing value from our implied volatility following and we're losing value from our theta loss. So I generally am trying to see this consistent volume to avoid some of these choppy trades. And my main way of identifying if we're seeing the choppiness come is if we're seeing the volumes inconsistent from minute to minute. Sometimes we will see equal amounts of buying and equal amounts of selling, and that's basically where the stock will not move anywhere, but we are seeing adequate volume. That sometimes is where you can run into trouble, but what we want to avoid is the losses where we see that the volume is not there um, just after another minute, and we're just collecting some decay. So I want to try to stay away from avoiding these choppy trades and look for the right setups, whether it takes a couple hours for this to come across us or if we see it within five minutes. Um, it's just about the discipline and waiting to find this right setup coming our way. When you have a market that we have right now where there's not a ton of consistent price action, right? Like we'll get <clears throat> we'll get a lower low, put in a higher, a higher high, right? And like there's really like no clear kind of trend forming and it's sort of just back and forth with pretty sharp aggressive movements. Um but you can get these, you know, two, three, four days of kind of continuation in one direction or the other. I think that in that market, it's really pertinent to stick to your stick to your strategy, like you said, and and really rely on you know, only taking those A plus setups because you can make a mistake in a market that only goes up and, you know, a broken, a broken clock is wrong twice a day, but that's even more true when everything is going up. Right. And then the same thing when everything's going down, right. You can make a mistake and still just because of what the market's doing, because of market beta can ultimately wind up being correct. I think that when you're in these choppy markets, you have to be a little bit more decisive, um, you know, and, and, and intentional with your moves. And so I completely agree with you there. Um, as a scalper, you said that you, you're, you're primarily a scalper in your, um, approach. And so one of the things that I always think about when I think about scalpers is people who come into the market, newer traders will see that sort of style and they'll say, you know, I, I like that style because it doesn't seem like you really have to prepare, right? Like you can just come into the market, like you said, watching the volume minute by minute and, you know, kind of making your way, you know, waking up at 925 before the market opens um, and looking for these small opportunities. A lot of times people can think that you don't have to prepare as much as somebody who's looking for a little bit of a longer term move. Um, describe to me what your preparation looks like, you know, particularly at night or over the weekend and whatnot. Well, so the night before, I'm going to be looking at CNBC. I'm going to be looking on Twitter. I'm going to be finding some names. I'm going to be hearing news. I'm going to be finding out where the money is ultimately going to be going tomorrow. And then after hours the night before, it's not so aggressive as it will be in the next morning. The next morning is where I'm really looking for the game plan. Um, and the night before, I'm just looking to find some names to compound onto the list to help me try to find some trades intraday. Um, I like to just add some tickers to a broad watch list that I like to scroll through intraday. And if I can find the right setup on some of these names, um, I will take trades there. But when it comes into the morning, I'm going to be looking at the news as well. Um, I'm going to sometimes be looking at the unusual whales call flow or call and put flow. 
And I'm going to be looking to see if I can find any names from there too. Once I find all of my names, um, I'm going to be looking in the day, just scrolling through these names throughout the day, watching the volume on these names um, by minute. And I'm going to also be watching the trend on these. I like to chart the low and I like to chart the high of the last 10 minutes. And I want to see that for a call strategy, I'm about 25 to 30% in the range. And for the put strategy, I'm about 75 to 80% in that range. For this reason, I like to see that we have move, we have room to move without having to break a new high or a new low of the last 10 minutes. So when I get closer to that point, um, that's normally where I like to cut about half of my contracts. And I do this because I like to secure the win on the trade. And the reason why I like to secure green pretty early is because we don't know if that's going to be green in five more minutes from now. And I'd rather have just a small gain than be holding a position that was green and is now a red position. I think, you know, having those sort of kind of like consistent exit rules and and sort of a framework around how you're going to get out of your trades, right? Everybody really loves to focus on finding that one strategy that's going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to get in and it's immediately going to go 50, a hundred, 200%. And then you can get out along the way and you have to take no drawdown. You don't have to set a stop loss. You don't have to even consider the downside. Everyone's really, you know, sort of looking for that golden goose of a strategy. And realistically, it, knowing how to exit exactly like you said, like really planning your, your exit and saying, okay, when we get to this portion of the range, I'm going to get in. But also after we've, you know, sort of filled that gap to the, to the, um, to the previous resistance, I'm going to look to scale out because like you said, I don't know if it's going to break that resistance or not. So I can take some off there. And if it breaks the resistance, the resistance, great. I'll have a play that runs, you know, 50, hundred percent. But if it doesn't, I already took profits on some of my, on some of my position. And so I'll set my stop loss at entry or break even or whatever it is that you want to do. And you'll be fine. I think when you completely kind of neglect that side of trading, you'll get a lot of those um, situations where your stop loss is 20%, but then on the upside, you don't, you don't know where to take profits. So you're taking profit at 13, 14, 15%. And you look back at your trades and you're not profitable. And it's because your risk reward just isn't there. And so I like the fact that you're able to sort of identify that risk reward before going into the, into the trade, because that's crucial when we're, when we're trading in choppy markets like these. Yeah. Something you mentioned that I really liked. So Going into a trade, you should always have a game plan for where you're looking to take profits, obviously. Snipes does a really good job at leaving runners. A lot of people will see a trader who took a trade. The trade goes for 100%, 200%, 500%. And they think, wow, look at this guy. He's able to find these trades that go 500%. No. The good trader is able to find trades that consistently go 15, 20, 30%. And then you leave a couple runners and you never know when that big home run trade is going to come. So you put yourself in a position to make consistent gains. You follow your strategy. You're always taking some off the table as you see those profits. And then. Once you kind of have that cushion, and let's say you're out of 75% of your position, you have another 25% that you could say, okay, I'm going to let this run a little bit. And that's really where the massive gains come from. So Snipes, I want to ask you, when you're exiting trades and you do leave these runners, what is your strategy as far as, okay, I'm going to let this run uh, you know, for X amount, is it based on the chart? 
Is it based on, um, you know, I'm literally going to let this contract either come all the way back to entry or I'm going to scale out at X percent. What is your mentality like? What is it that you look for when the only thing remaining in your trade is simply runners? So I like to have four different points where I like to scale out. The first point where I like to scale out is where I normally cut about half of my contracts. At this point, the objective here is to secure a win on the trade. Once I do this, I'm going to set my stop right at or give or take a few cents from break even. It really depends on just the premiums of the contract. And I don't want to set it too high to where I'll just get stopped out. And I don't want to set it um, lower than where I would have a net loss on the trade. After this point, when we see it move a little bit farther, um, there's a point normally after we break the high for the last 10 minutes, sometimes even and some, um, where I like to scale 25% of these. At this point, this is where I'm securing a solid win on the trade. That's where, whether it's based off of a percentage or a dollar figure that I see that I like, I want to secure this and this is just not like a normal win. This is like a solid win where I've made a decent amount of money off of this trade. The third part where I like to scale is I call it the open runner phase. Once I'm at the open runner phase, I don't really have too many contracts left. And the reason for this is because I've already scaled out 75% of them. But the amazing thing about options is you don't really need that many contracts to make a lot of money. And with just these couple of contracts, we can see these sometimes run a couple hundred percent. Um, The last part or my last phase where I would say is my scaling point is where I call it the free runner phase. Now, the name sounds pretty self-explanatory, but when I'm at this part, this is when I have scaled and my position is net free. That means that if all of the contracts I had left open went to zero or one cent and literally one cent, I would still have a net win on the trade overall. That is where I call the free runner phase. All right. So let me ask you a question. If you have five contracts at $2 and then, you know, you scale some up 50%. Now you have four contracts. You go up hundred percent, you scale two more. Now you got two contracts. You go up 200%, you scale one more. Now you've got one contract, um, unrealized 200% gain on, I guess, $200. Your contracts would be worth 600. So now you've got $600 contract, your contract's worth six and it is free. It could go to zero and you'd be fine on the trade. What's your advice to like a newer trader where like, okay, I'm already up 200%. So I've made $400 on this contract. It's sitting at six, $600 may be a significant portion of my account. You know, what do I do with that? Do I let that go and just see what can happen? Or do I, you know, lock in that $600 of value that's sitting there? Well, that's a very subjective question. There's actually not a hard and fast answer to that. That's a right way to do it. Um, This could be different from a lot of traders based off of account values, based off of position values, and also how much I look at this amount of money as. Like, what does the $600 mean to me? Versus someone else, $600 to their account could not be as much or $600 could sometimes even be somebody's full account. So that's a very subjective question, but um, I often like to just take green. So sometimes when I have just a l- one contract left or not that much left, a very small position, um, I'll sometimes close this contract when I'm starting to see a reversal that looks significant enough to where I'd want to secure this profit. For instance, if I was up 200% and I'm seeing like maybe a 5 to 10% pullback, I'm probably not going to really react to that. But if I'm seeing it come down about like 30 to 45%, um, that's often a time when I would like to sell them. Yeah, I think that that free runner stage is 
a topic that's, I think, underrated and not talked about enough because the concept of leaving runners to one person can be different uh, to the next. So for me personally, when I'm leaving a runner, I'm never going to let it go to zero because, you know, mentally, I don't like to see that. When I see green, I like to, you know, secure as close to max profit as possible, right? That's always the goal. I think that where some people get, uh, you know, caught up, and you mentioned this a little bit. So you see a somewhat significant reversal and you start to think, okay, the position is now going in the wrong direction. I'm just going to go ahead and close out this trade. Some people struggle with actually closing out the trade. Let's say your contracts were up 300%. Now there's a bit of a reversal. Um, They've retraced. They're now up 200%. In the back of your mind, you're telling yourself, well, these were just worth X amount of money, and now they're worth Y amount of money. I'm just going to hold because I don't want to close here. I'd rather see them go back up. It's imperative, in my opinion, to close that trade once you have even the smallest inkling that, hey, I think I think this is done. I think I, the move has been exhausted, whatever. And even if you're wrong, and it's going to happen, right? You're going to close the position, you check again in two hours, and the contract's doubled. It happens. But what's most important is that you're locking in those profits. This isn't a game of trying to be perfectly precise, calling the bottom and the top or the top and the bottom. This is a game of capturing as much of the move as possible. There's that sort of weight, at least for me, lifted off of my shoulders when I finally close out the position in the green. I'm like, okay, stress is off the table. I did everything I think that I can do. Some people struggle getting to that point, and it makes sense because you're trying to trade perfectly. But I don't think that that's always the best mentality. So I want to ask you how you can combat that sort of mental hump that some traders face of trying to trade perfectly, trying to grab those contracts as cheap as possible and trying to sell them at as high a premium as possible. The main thing that I take from that is emotional trading. Most traders or even a lot of traders actually still do trade with emotions. And when we're trading, we have to completely eliminate these emotions from trading. We have to look at this strictly for what it is. And we can't marry any of these contracts or we can't take them down with us. When we're seeing that these contracts sometimes can be moving down a little bit. And if we feel that we don't want to hold this or we're not prepared to take this any farther down, Normally, that's a good time to cut. All right. So over the last several weeks, um, you as well as, you know, me and Alejandro, all the King Cap guys have really been putting out um, quite a bit of education on the indicators we use, the styles that we use to trade. And, you know, indicators, a lot of people have different kind of feelings about them, right? Like some people think that all you really need is price action. You don't need any indicators in your chart. You don't need any sort of help besides just the price action and the volume. And other people have 30 indicators on their chart trying to get any little edge that they can. What kind of indicators do you use to help you get your entries and exits? And what's your general feeling towards indicators um, overall? So my personal opinion, because a lot of my trades are scalps like we were previously mentioning. So I'm looking at a lot of these trades on just a couple of minute level. I'm not really looking to take these for any longer than 10 minutes, ideally after adding. 
So basically what I have, just my charting is very simple. I just have the high and the low right there. And like I mentioned before, I'm looking for the certain ranges for where the underlying share price would be in on this chart um, based off this high and low. My other thing I'm watching is the volume bars on the bottom. And I'm making sure that I'm seeing that relative consistency right there. And the third thing that I would say I'm looking at pretty hard as well is I'm looking at the trend. And I watch the one minute chart. But I'm mainly going to be watching the minutes and I'm going to be looking at the highs and the lows of the minutes. I'm going to be wanting to see that for a bullish trend that I'm seeing a higher low across minute to minute. And for a bearish trend that I'm looking to see a lower high from minute to minute. I don't really like to consider it a trend if I'm seeing it for less than three minutes, though. I want to talk about kind of just like the shift towards trading as a job. Because like you guys both trade as your job. Like how does that like not fuck with your emotions? You know what I'm saying? Cause like right now, every day for me, I, I can go in and, you know, obviously I'm trying to make money and not just for me, but for the people in the discord. But at the same time, it's like my bills aren't necessarily reliant on, you know, my trading income as of right now, as I'm still in school. And so like, I just, as two people who trade as their job, you know, what kind of impact does that have on your, I guess, psyche? And I guess what kind of advice would both you guys give to people who are sort of looking to make that transition in their lives you know if they think that they've got their skills up to par and are you know ready to sort of make that leap yeah so for me personally trading now for a living trading full-time there are a couple things that i've noticed so immediately i saw a bit more risk management be reflected in my trading preserving capital i think is now coming second to none so when I still had, you know, that second income from my job and that consistent paycheck, the mentality was I could trade more aggressively, right? If I take a loss, it's whatever. When you're trading and trying to build that capital in order to take care of yourself or just to build your wealth, capital preservation comes before even trying to make money. So if you have like a strong red day, now it's like, or a bad red day rather, it's like, okay, I really got to reflect on what I did. I got to make sure that those bad red days aren't too bad or else, you know, I'm just going to be screwing myself over. I got to make the adjustments. It's not just, okay, brush it off. Let's go again tomorrow, lose more money tomorrow, that type of thing. It's like, Dude, you got to figure it out. And I think it's made me a better trader because um, of that. And I've talked about on Spaces, on the podcast, in my tweets, what going through bad stretches as a trader looks like. It's going to happen. And it's very easy. Another thing I've noticed, it's very easy to stress yourself out. So if you're trading poorly, the self-doubt really starts to come into play, especially when you know, you're depending on yourself to make money. There's a lot of self-doubt there. Um, so the mental side, just constantly working on becoming stronger mentally is probably the most important thing for me. But as far as what I'm actually doing in my trading, I try to keep everything the exact same, just maybe just a little bit less aggressive and trying to play a little bit smaller. Um, what about you, Snipes? What's it What's it like for you? Well, exactly like what you're saying there, preserving capital is definitely a major key, especially when you're doing this full time. Um, one of the best ways to make money is to actually not lose money. And sometimes if you're looking at your losses and you look at how much you've totally lost over the court, a prolonged period of time, say a week, a month, a year, whatever you want to look at it, 
Um, if you see that this number sometimes will be higher when you add them all up than what you anticipated, um, if you see just about how much better you'll do if you were cutting those losses by even like as little as like 2% um, for the month or for the year. I feel like it has to have some sort of mental effect because it's like the more you need money or or what is it? Like what what's the saying? Like the more like you try and get money, the more essentially that you need it, the harder it comes, right? Like somebody who's trading and doesn't really need to make an income to support their family or, you know, maybe is, I don't want to say already wealthy because that's not necessarily the case, but you know, somebody who necessarily doesn't need the money like that, like it's a little bit more stress-free and that's why that's the exact phenomenon behind why people are better at paper trading, right? Because it's like, you don't really care if you win or lose. Like you obviously want to do well in your paper trades and kind of show yourself that you can do it because you really want to move on to actual trades. But, you know, it's not really affecting you in the sense that like, all right, losing this money is going to affect, you know, my ability essentially to survive, right? Your, your, your livelihood is not dependent on your performance. Whereas when you're a full-time trader, it is. And I feel like that there's no way that, you know, that can't affect, I guess your, your trading. I would say that I see, especially from a lot of people working or part-time traders that convert into full-time traders is they feel that they need to to say like compensate or trade more than what they were previously doing or what they know, just because they're doing this full-time now and they're doing this for a living. That is where I see a lot of people go wrong, especially when they make that transition into full-time trading. Um, the thing is that just because you're doing this for a living doesn't change anything. Um, you're not going to do better just because you're doing it full-time versus part-time. That doesn't really affect that part there. Obviously, there is a lot of factors there, but the market doesn't favor full-time traders over part-time traders is what I'm trying to say about that. Dude, that is so, so true. I'll never forget it. That first week that I was officially full-time, I took more trades than I've ever taken in my life and I traded like shit. And I was like, Hold on. I was trading better when I couldn't watch the screen all day, when I couldn't take so many trades because I was obviously occupied with my job. And I'm glad it happened to me early because, as you mentioned, and it's a really interesting way to think about it. I never thought about it that way. The market does not favor full time traders. So many people think. Well, I have like my job right now and I can't watch the like price action all day. I can't take that many trades. If you can't get it done with one to two trades, you're not going to be able to get it done taking four to five. It's the same exact thing, right? It's the same process that you should be implementing day in and day out, which is what I had to realize. So now um, I've quickly, you know, been able to mature, I guess, as a full time trader. And the goal now is, Two, three t- trades a day, and I'm done. If I could, you know, make my daily profit goal by 11 and I don't have to trade for the rest of the day, that's beautiful to me. But yeah, that's, that's one of like the main things that I think a lot of people will struggle with. And also the expectations, as you mentioned, the expectations going into being a full time trader, this was also something uh, that I struggled with. I expected that first week, okay, the market now has my full attention. I'm going to make so much money this week because this is the first time I've been able to trade full time, wake up early, look at my setups, nothing else to do except trade. I'll be there for twice the time, so I should make twice the money, right? That's that's how you feel, right? Exactly, exactly. 
I was like, dude, like I'm going to be unstoppable. If I was do, if I was making money while working a job, imagine while I'm not working a job, while the market has, you know, my full attention, I can put all the effort in quickly found out that's simply not how it works. Simply not how it works. So um, for those, I guess, considering to go full time or for those maybe who are just now starting full time, that's definitely one of the mistakes I made that hopefully you won't repeat. To stay on that topic, when you are, I guess, a professional trader, because now it's going to now now these questions are going to come from me genuinely because I actually am I'm curious. How are you paying yourself? Right. Because you're obviously your job is to create alpha and you want to um, you know, grow your account size, right? Because that that's one of your primary goals as a trader, because obviously, you know, compound gains and whatnot. At the same time, though, if you're a trader, you need to give bills to pay, you have rent, you have, you know, all the other stuff. And so how do you go about um, paying yourself? What does that process look like after a green week or after a red week or after a green month or after a red month? Does it change from month to month, depending on how well you did? And, you know, what does that sort of look like um, for you guys? Well, if I'm going to be honest, um, my performance from month to month doesn't really affect my day to day life as in terms of like spending. I'm not going to go out and spend a lot more money or buy things that I don't really need just because I made some money. Um, the only difference that it's really going to make is the amount of common shares that I'm buying. At the end of every single week, um, let's say if just to hypothetically make numbers easy, if I was using a $50,000 account and let's just say um, 50K even on Monday, um, come Friday, let's say if we're seeing it's at 56, 57K, whatever it could be, um, I'm going to withdraw every all of the profits above 50k to restart with the exact same balance on Monday. And I pretty much like to take it from week to week. And from that money that I'm withdrawing of the profits, part of that is paying myself, um, paying bills, day to day needs. And then the remainder of that is normally going into buying common shares. What do you do on a red week? Cry. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. No, I'm, uh, I'm kind of the same way. So anytime Uh, like my, I guess like main trading portfolio, whatever you want to call it is green. I like to move that out of one account into another account, whether it's like my long-term account. And sometimes it'll just sit there in cash. Cause I mean, especially right now, I'm not all that anxious. I have so much cash. It's crazy. Yeah. It's just, (laughs) just sits in cash. Like I'm not, I'm not jumping to really buy anything right now under these current market conditions. But what's important to me is at least, you know, if I made some money, I want to move it out. But personally, especially at my age and we're all the same age, um, early 20s, this is like the hyper growth stage. Like This is the stage where for me, I try to spend as little money as possible. Like My checking account in itself is a joke right now. Like I, I literally keep the money in... The money in my checking is the money I need to do groceries and you know pay the bills and whatever needs to get done. I don't want to act like the money that I have in my trading accounts is money that I'm able to use. I don't want that mentality of like all right, like you're starting to stack a little bit, like let's walk around like our shit don't stink. Like this for me is simply it's a business. I'm trying to, you know, build my wealth. I have uh, some long games that I'm playing. There's investments that I'd like to take part in in the future that I know will only be possible if I'm able to build as much capital as possible right now. 
So I see a lot of people like, and I get it. Like some of it is like marketing, but some people will like make a lot of money trading or whatever. And then, you know, they've got like a couple Rolexes and I get it. If you're making like millions, do your thing. I won't be comfortable doing that until I got my shit straightened out, right? Until I have my investments in order, until I have, you know, multiple income streams, until I'm just genuinely comfortable. That's when I might start, you know, acting like I got it a little bit. But right now, that's when you'll get the second Rolex, right? Yeah, that's when I get the second Rolex. But like, I don't like, I'm not going to lie to anybody. I don't got it like that right now. And like, yeah, once I, you know, you hit it, you got a few million in the bank, like deck a millionaire, whatever. It looks different to whatever person. But for me, like building wealth is way, way more about feeling comfortable, getting that freedom, not having to worry about anything. Like, I don't have to show you how much money I have by, you know, buying a Rolex. Like, that's cool and all. Like, if that's what you want to do, if that's your thing, more power to you. Like, I'd rather get my job done every day trading, get my finances in order. And then down the line, you know, when the family and everybody's comfortable, then we can have a little fun. I don't know. That's just my opinion right now, especially at this age. I think that's just an appropriate mindset. That's the thing that I always never understood is that the traders who, you know, are out here spending tons of money. And like you said, like if you're, if you got it like that, spend it. All you, you know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's realistically where we all want to get to. And so no one's bashing on those people, right? We want to be there too. At the same time, if you don't have it like that, a completely fine. Most, most 99% of people don't. And B, what are you going to do to get there? Right. And like, as a trader, your job is literally to manage risk, to identify risk. And you know, as a trader that the dollar I make tomorrow could be the last dollar I make, right? Like you never know how it's going to go. And so it's not like a job where, you know, you're guaranteed this amount of money every year and yada, 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 like anything could happen any day. And so just in the name of risk management to go out and over leverage yourself, um, buy the fat apartment, buy the fat car. Like it just doesn't, it's not good risk management. Right. And like, that's the thing that I never understood about some people who are, you know, fairly successful through trading, but want to, I guess, have it before they have it. You know what I mean? I don't really see myself changing my life or my lifestyle until I have at least 5 million. Um, when I look at 5 million, I see, I mean, it depends where you live. Let's just say four to 6 million. Um, that's pretty much the price it is to never work again in your life. And that's just my main goal. And I think that a lot of people share that mutual goal, but I don't really think I'm going to be changing my lifestyle up too much until I have that amount of money. I'm greedy, bro. I need 10. I need, I need 10. I really do, bro. That, that a figure, that a figure, bro. Ooh, that's really like when, when I hit the, when I hit the million mark, when I hit the million mark, which I haven't yet, I will let you all know. But when I hit the, when I hit the 10 million mark, y'all are never going to see me again. I'm telling you, I'm I I swear, dude, that's what I swear. bro. That's what I'm saying. Like, Listen, when when you see Dwayne trade like post his first picture of his like his first Rolex, like I'm going to be on my way out. I'll be honest <laughs> with you guys. That's like my uh <laughs> that's like going to be my departing gift. 
I'm heading to the door. If I have if I have a Rolex on, like I promise you guys, I'm gonna be able to afford fifty of them, a hundred of them. Like I don't need, I don't need any of that to validate myself to you know show people on FinTwit like how much money I'm making. I don't need any of that. I rather put twenty, thirty thousand into an investment property. Let that sit. Do it again. Another twenty, thirty thousand into an investment property. Buy twenty, thirty thousand worth of Google. Buy twenty, thirty thousand worth of Apple. Yep. Talk to me. Once I have all that. Yep. Then okay, let's think about buying a Rolex. You got people out here with, and I don't want to. You know, I'm not pocket watching or you know telling people how to live their lives. But you got people out here with a two hundred to three hundred thousand dollar net worth with multiple Rolexes. How does that make any sense? How does that Done make that any up. sense, man? Done like, that up. I get it. You can technically, I guess, afford it. Whatever affording something looks like to you, yeah, you can buy it. And you'll probably make that money back that year, no problem. That's just not aggressive enough for me. You see the people who were really like the billionaires, the people who were really, really able to be successful. One of the craziest things, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I've seen pictures of Warren Buffett's house, his car, how modestly he lives. You think that guy gives a shit about proving to anybody how much money he has? No, nah, bro. When you're that rich, when you're that rich, that's when you know you're rich, bro, because people know. Everyone knows, right? So it's like, yeah, everyone knows. Like if you if you only wear a billion chains and you know have fifteen foreigns in your driveway, if, if you if people don't know already and you're trying to let them know, right? Warren Buffett doesn't have to let anybody know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but no, I think realistically, it it's a it's a mindset that you have to have as a trader that like you know I saw this on Twitter the other day where it's like. As a trader, you should never underestimate your ability to fuck everything up, right? And like that's not a quote to sort of make you scared, right? To make you scared as a trader, make you scared to pull the trigger. It's just more so to keep in mind the power that you have every time you click the buy and sell button. You know, every time that you're making these decisions, you know, it it can have life-changing effects for the better or for the worse. And so like don't underestimate that power that you have. You know, every time that you step in a batter's box, so to speak, as traders, um, you know, to just keep it in mind, keep it in check and, you know, always kind of stay level. And I think that, that that's that's super important, particularly for for newer traders. Yeah, Snipes, I want to ask you. So having that goal of four to six million in mind or five million, whatever it is. This is obviously something and, you know, knowing you personally. I know you're very focused on reaching that goal, but trading day to day, you know, you're playing with however much capital. What is it that you tell yourself in order to stay the course and to sort of trust the process and not to, you know, make stupid mistakes, not look at your account at the end of the day and you're down, you know, 50K because you're so anxious to hit that 5 million mark? What is your mentality right now as far as, you know, just growing your account to reach that goal? Well, I want to think about it kind of like if you were trying to eat an elephant, you're going to eat that elephant very slowly by bite by bite. 
And it's going to take quite a lot of bites, but eventually, if you came back to it day to day, you'd be able to eat that elephant. So, I like that. And I like like to think about, like, actually eating this whole elephant. And, like, when I have a good day, I think about it just kind of, like, taking a bite or whatever. Um, I would (laughs) Yo, I swear to God, I'm not lying. TCP, the only place... Where you will hear fantastic traders talking about eating elephants. Yeah, that's awesome. No, that's a great mindset to have, though, because it's so true, right? Well, yeah, like if you think about it, you can't eat the elephant in one bite, no matter it's what impossible. you try. It's impossible. You and can't. Yeah, you I don't know if you like could so eat an elephant at all. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, though. We're going to start using that for everything. Eat the elephant? Eat the eat elephant. The elephant. So, Small gain, small gain on the port. Ate a little bit of the elephant today. Took yeah. a nice bite, man. Took a nice bite of the elephant. Eat I the elephant, it. chop the wood. That's We're going right. to post this clip on Twitter, and uh, you're going to become Fintwit favorite. Well, you're already at 15,000 followers, but we're going to have to coin that. Stock Sniper was the first one to say, building an account and growing wealth is like eating an elephant. I love it. All right, bro. We're already uh, pretty deep into the episode. I think that the conversation we had is definitely going to benefit a lot of people. Just kind of recapping. First off, talking about your trading, how you're treating the current market. I think it's really important for people to hear. It's important for people to hear and understand. Markets are changing. Be able to adapt. Consistently manage your risk. Take those profits. Snipes is you know living, breathing proof that taking small gains really do add up. Um, And that's something that's so, so underrated. And we obviously preach that all the time, how base hits can really change your account, can change your mentality as a trader, can help you gain confidence. So I'm glad we touched on that. I also am glad that we kind of got into the conversation of building wealth. I know that a lot of our listeners are in that same stage. Everybody wants to be rich. Everybody wants to be the guy with the Rolex. Everybody wants to be the guy with the fancy house. It's a process. It's not one day to the next. It's not one week to the next. A lot of these overnight success stories of people making millions of dollars are unrealistic. More power to those people. I think that that's just incredible. And quite honestly, I wish that I could change my life around that quickly. But for the 99% who are really interested in actually building that sort of wealth, it's a slow grind. It takes a lot of focus. It takes a lot of patience. So I'm glad that we touched on that. Snipes, I think that this interview as a whole was phenomenal. I'm glad that we got to do another one. And this obviously won't be the last time that we have you on the podcast. We'll continue to have really good conversations, but appreciate you joining us, brother, as always. Thanks for having me on, as per usual. All right, bro. Noah, another great episode, another great conversation. I'll see you next week for episode 30. Our content is intended to be used and must be used for informational purposes only. It is very important to do your own analysis before making any investment based on your own personal circumstances. You should take independent financial advice from a professional in connection with or independently research and verify 
any information that you find in our podcast and wish to rely upon, whether for the purpose of making an investment decision or otherwise.